Andrew Kitchener is the founder and CEO of New Wave Solutions, an extraordinary firm with an extraordinary leader. This firm specializes in helping organizations retain top-tier talent. On this edition of This is Design Intelligence, he shares the workplace habits and expectations that have changed as a result of the pandemic, the three different types of employee commitment, and what firms should be focusing on to make sure they retain talent and foster a culture of commitment. Welcome to this edition of This is Design Intelligence, conversations with leadership voices in the built environment. So I could not be happier that we've reconnected after a few years. It's been, it's been a quite a global dynamic with the pandemic. We have seen so many changes that it is almost revolutionary in every way. I think that now here we are in the second half of 2023, and we're so inclined to put things quickly in the rearview mirror. And it's been over three years since a global pandemic started. And uh, sadly, in this country, a few million people have passed away around the world. Several million people have passed away based on the COVID virus. And here we are in uh, approaching the the latter half of, I should say, the fall of 2023. I just saw a news broadcast yesterday talking about the rise in covid already infections uh, going on in the eastern part of the United States. So uh, the, maybe the pandemic is over, but the virus is still alive. And it changed a lot of the way we think, how we speak, and how we behave when it comes to work. Boy, haven't we seen uh, just a cataclysmic change in work habits and uh, patterns. You know, research is taken on many forms, and what some consider research is really polling. I guess polling is a, a cousin to research, but it's not research in and of itself. How does New Wave define an employee research in the work that you do? Because I believe it's essential or at the essence of your value. Yeah, you're right about the amount that's changed, especially, I would say, like you said, in terms of habits, but also expectations. But in terms of research, when we're looking at psychometrics, which is essentially what we focus on, so essentially measuring psychological constructs, there's two things that I always say we should focus on. So there's reliability and validity. So validity is what are you measuring and are you measuring it accurately? So that means, let's say you're measuring engagement, like we've talked about. You know, there are all of these different surveys that measure engagement, but they all have different questions. Well, they can't all be a valid measure of the same thing. Uh, so that's a validity. And then the second thing is reliability. So that's essentially the degree to which you can rely on a certain measure, measuring what you intend to be essentially measuring. And that's across groups as well as across time. So those are just kind of two important concepts to keep in mind. So when you look at polling, you can use polling or surveys in order to measure a valid and reliable construct. But like you said, very often it's a cousin and that cousin is really just kind of getting a pulse or a feel on what people are thinking, their greatest fears, their priorities. Uh, but that's not necessarily research. 
So as far as how we employ it at New Wave, what we do, like we've talked about, is we measure commitment instead of engagement, uh, more specifically organizational commitment. And the definition of that is simply an employee's commitment to their company's goals, values, and mission. And that measurement is, as we kind of dive into the, the research that we've looked at, not just our own, but also published research by independent resources, is we see that it's the most reliable predictor of desired outcomes. So commonly, companies are looking to measure and kind of get a feel for the degree to which they can retain their employees, bring out the best of their employees, and commitment is shown to be the best predictor. So I think an important concept when we're looking at research is to go in and go into it not having preconceived notions. Uh, now, you might have a hypothesis, but you're willing to be proven wrong. So whether or not you conduct engagement surveys, commitment surveys, you have to be open-minded that there's a better construct out there and not to be too steadfast in terms of what you believe being the ultimate truth. As it turns out, things evolve. In terms of commitment, there's this kind of initial feeling, especially when I talk to people who might not know my background, that, hey, I'm just coming up with this metric and I'm looking to kind of shift the industry so that I can, you know, kind of have commitment, be the new metric and build a, a huge company around that. As if I went, went into this with that plan. The reality is, is this all kind of stemmed from me doing independent research in academics where I was trying to find the best predictor of long-term retention and my research, money, time, hours was built around my hypothesis that it was going to be engagement. So it's it would have been in my best interest at the time for engagement to kind of be the best metric. And we looked at over 100 different variables. And what we found is I was wrong. So we, we realized that it ended up being commitment and engagement was the 32nd best predictor. So I just think it's important to kind of understand, I didn't come at this wanting it to be the outcome necessarily. I was surprised by it, just like a lot of people are. But now that that's the reality kind of in front of us, I'm just kind of wanting to bridge the gap between research and private industry, because I think that that falls short a lot of times. Um, and connected to that, I think it just, it's intuitively logical. You know, you think about what's motivated you on an individual level to put in discretionary effort, whether it be a personal goal like working out or a professional goal like uh, trying to get the next promotion or hitting a, 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 your sales numbers. The discretionary effort has not been the result of you being engaged. It's been the result of you being committed to some goal or outcome or values that drive it. So when we, we talk about commitment, you talk about a commitment on the part of an employee to the values and the vision, future of the firm. How do you understand commitment? I mean, how, how do I know if somebody says, hey, are you committed? And I go, yeah, I'm committed. I'm, I'm the guy. How do I know, Andrew? Pragmatically, you have this measure. So well-established construct uh, to measure commitment. There's three components. And when you think about commitment, you might understand it to be kind of different. There's different types of commitment or motivations to be committed. This term in particular, there's three types. There's the degree to which you want to be committed, need to be committed, and should be committed. 
So it's effective, normative, and continuance commitment are the technical terms. But you can think of wanting to be committed or effective commitment, as in you believe in this mission, you enjoy what you do, you feel like you have a voice, and you want to be a part of that change or the mission. Uh, normative is more social. Um, so normative would be, I don't want to let my team down. Um, I have people relying on me, and there's that social obligation. And then continuance is more pragmatic. It's looking at, okay, I have bills, and I need to pay my bills. That continuance commitment is something that's pretty universal. Um, it's really in the effective or wanting to be committed and the normative where you can kind of turn the dial up. Um, so uh, as far as how you can know, that is the most objective way to know. But one thing that I think is important to uh, think about is when I go into companies and we start talking to employees and we let them reach out to us before the survey, expressing their concerns, there's some concern, hey, why are you measuring my commitment? There's some hesitation about that. And I think, first of all, that's completely understandable. But what's important to understand is where we're approaching this from. So commitment is not something employees are obligated to feel. It's something that companies should be focused on fostering. So if employees aren't committed, it's not a failure of the employees. It's a failure of the company. Every company has room to improve, but that's an important concept to understand because we're not judging employees based on the degree to which they're committed. We're judging the degree to which the companies can foster employees' commitment and choose employees that are aligned with their mission values. This is just tremendous, and getting to that is so critical. And I, I, I bring this into the context of the massive changes that we have seen in the world as a result of the pandemic and now in this after period where we are, is that really understanding employee commitment to a firm and the other way around, the firm's commitment to the employee is now perhaps more essential than it has ever been with the hybrid work world that we have been have we've entered into at design intelligence we often say we believe that hybrid is here to stay in its many different permutations that uh, it will be rare more the exception that proves the rule that 100% of people will 100% of the time be in 100% of the seats ever again and the majority of folks will not do that in the knowledge working space and as a result there has been a lot of conversation around what are what is the impact to the culture of a firm and i think even preceding this idynamic of culture is this issue of commitment because it is these varying levels and aspects of commitment that really coming together is what defines a big piece of culture isn't it absolutely and when we look at you know whether it's within organizations whether it's within teams um, in sports, you look at when the greatest accomplishments have been made, you know, everything from an organization essentially disproving what what would be conceived as possible. You look at, you know, what Tesla has done, for instance, or you look at something on a national level, like landing on the moon, or you think of something in sports. Generally, when you get people together, the greatest accomplishments are the result of a unifying goal that's bigger than any one individual and the group's shared commitment to that unifying goal. So I think that's that's central, like you were saying, to a culture. 
And I also think that culture has changed. So it's become a lot more about the individual and organization's obligation to the individual, like you were saying, has grown. Uh, the need has grown as well as the expectation has changed. So there's a growing cost and frequency of turnover that's been going on prior to COVID and it's just been exacerbated like a lot of trends. But you look at the radius of jobs that you might apply to. Uh, as you have an expansion of the number of companies and organizations that you can be a part of, then the kind of options that are available to you increase and therefore it becomes more difficult to retain your employees because I can sit here in my chair and I can work for one company or I can sit in the same chair and work for another company. The barriers to transferring or changing companies have decreased. Because of that, the need to understand what drives employees' commitment has increased. And one aspect of that is respecting the individual. So we see a trend of the increased importance of flexibility, for instance. Normally, you wouldn't think of individuals' autonomy and flexibility as a part of the culture, but now it has become a part of the culture. So whether you're a company that's going in the what I would consider the wrong direction and you're monitoring employees' you know, screens and you're not giving them much autonomy and you're not letting them have any schedule flexibility or location flexibility, that ends up being perceived, at least, as a negative reflection on the culture. Whereas if you afford that autonomy, that trust, and that flexibility, it's it's a sign of the culture respecting the individual, and therefore the individual respects the company. Hmm. These are difficult things for prior generations to get their heads around, right? Because, you know, the traditional model for decades upon decades has been, I pay you this much, you do what I say, and life goes on, right? And you come in, you sit, butt in seat, do your work, eight hours, nine hours, leave, I'll see you tomorrow morning, uh, wash, rinse, repeat, kind of over and over again. And so this has been so highly disruptive in so many ways, not particularly negatively disruptive, I think there's actually so much good that's come out of this that it is causing us to reimagine the cost of labor, the cost of getting work done, the opportunities that firms now have to create much more uh, realistic commitments as opposed to these artificial commitments, which is you show up on time, you're in your seat, you do your cubicle work, and you leave as if that was a commitment. Uh, because you were doing this work prior to the pandemic, and you saw in many companies people that showed up nine to five every day, and they were not committed at all, other than to get the paycheck. Yep. And that's that continuance commitment. You know, it's, but like we were talking about, that's only a third of the picture. The reality is, is whether people show up to work and their lack of commitment leads to them spending more time at the water cooler and just kind of slacking off or playing solitaire and then they turn their screen back to a work screen when somebody walks by or they're distracted at, at home and they're not really focusing, they're going to the movies but sending some emails. Both things are going to happen if you lack commitment. And if you really foster a true sense of commitment, you don't have to worry about either one of those. So as you turn that dial up on commitment, you can turn the dial down on that oversight or the worry that maybe people are exploiting the situation. And that ends up kind of being the ultimate goal, regardless of whether people are in their seats or they're at home at their desk. 
there's really only one way to be able to turn down that kind of dial of the need for oversight, and that's by turning up the dial of commitment. Extraordinary. You've been watching through the companies that you're doing work with. I'm curious if you have some examples of some really good things that leadership in companies have done to accommodate this new dynamic and to raise commitment within their firms. Do you have any live examples of some positive things? You know, de-identified, you don't have to tell us who they are, but would love to hear some examples. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, not going in with any presumptions, um, making it clear to employees that the company doesn't know what they want. Um, So kind of going in with an open mind, whether that's just with the feedback that they're getting, but really how they're framing these surveys. So going in and not presuming that you know what employees' greatest, you know, fears, goals, priorities are, but saying, hey, you know, we don't want to presume on your behalf. This is an opportunity for you to kind of have a voice. And what we find is that in those situations, the feedback opportunities become a voice for employees and kind of an ear for management. Um, That's kind of the ideal dynamic. As far as the suggestions um, that kind of lead to some of that commitment, we talked about it earlier, but the increase in flexibility and autonomy, not only has that become more commonly sought after, but it's become more important to the people that want it. I, I think that there's something that precedes that, though, and it is that leadership has to lead from trust. Mm. I trust you to give you this autonomy that you won't abuse this. I trust you that you have our best, our collective best in mind. And I'm really looking for you to do what you know you're supposed to do in your work. I'm not particularly worried about you coming to work at my physical site or what time you punch in or punch out. I'm mostly concerned on your deliverables that you're getting the, the, what I need done at the right time, and I give you that autonomy. But again, all that is based on this preface of trust. And maybe that's, maybe that's really at the heart of where some firms are excelling in this and others are not. And it, 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 maybe it's a core value that's emanating from leadership of either trust or distrust. I think you're spot on there, and the values component is is central to that. So the authenticity in which they live by their values. So the most common negative feedback that we get in regards to company values is that management promotes them but doesn't live by them. That's by far the most common negative feedback or constructive feedback. And if you're an organization that's doing that, first of all, don't assume that you're not. You know, an individual might know deep down that they're living the company's values, but don't assume that it's presumed that every manager is doing a great job in terms of living by those values. Be open-minded, like I was saying, but if you're not and there's a perception of inauthenticity, then this idea of you saying, oh, we're, we want to trust you or we want you to hold yourself accountable, your ability to speak on values ends up being just diluted. Whereas if you're living the values and they're perceived as authentic, then like you were saying, if you set kind of the expectations of trust, you trust that the deliverables are going to be delivered in a timely manner, they're gonna be done well, uh, you're somebody who can be relied on, what you end up doing is you set higher standards uh, and, and those kind of become the floor or the expectation 
Whereas if you go into it and you don't have that trust, well, where are your standards? You know, you're going into it expecting that people are not going to be reliable. Whereas if you set that expectation to where people need to be that, but it's kind of the the standard or the expectation, then there's not going to be as as much acceptance around falling short of that. It's just going to be kind of the new norm. And if managers are living by that, then they're kind of leading leading from the front. So I think both concepts are important. And, and so this circling this back to this issue of leadership and values and consistency and inconsistency and living those out, it seems that there is a, a critical need within organizations when either newly hiring or newly placing a leader, whether it's placing a new position or replacing an old position, it seems that there's a critical need to spend more time in exploring a candidate's value set. I think that we are obsessed on competencies without understanding whether whether a person has the heart, the the value set that is in alignment with what the company is trying to achieve. This, For instance, I can have tremendous competence in my job. I can be considered a uh, an expert X, Y, or Z, but I may just hate people and distrust them and be suspicious of them all the time. And my expertise gets quickly diluted when I'm distancing and hurting and repelling people all the time, right? It really comes down to a corporation, a company, a firm needing to define their values right up front and using that value, those values as a measuring stick for how they place leadership within the firm because those leaders are going to be accused of hypocrisy if it's not sincere, if it's not authentic in them, because you can only make this stuff up for so long if it's not if it's not a part of who you are, right? Yep. Yep. I and I think that's that's a, a very important thing to factor that in. I think it can be done well and it can be done poorly like anything else. And I'm not a hiring manager, but definitely not my area of expertise. But if you start asking employees and it becomes a known question, whether it's employees for hire or for promotion, you know, what is it about our values that you really appreciate? Nobody's going to give an answer that lets you realize, okay, this person doesn't really care about our values. What I would say is that it needs to be more of kind of an open-ended approach. So asking, you know, why is it that this organization is one that you want to grow with as opposed to leaving in a couple years and going to work for a competitor? And if they are only talking about, um, well, there's the benefits are great here. You know, the dental plan. I really love the dental plan. And I feel like my salary is, you know, top-notch. Well, they didn't mention anything about the values. And if it's just an alignment in terms of not superficial things, but things like salary or benefits, things that can be dialed up or dialed down, then what they're saying is, okay, if another company turns those dials up a little bit more than you're turning up, then I'm going to go to that company because that's what I care about. Whereas if there's a unique value to the company that's perceived as authentic, then what you're going to find is is that that employee is going to want to stay with the organization and want to be more committed to the organization, even if a competitor is offering a slightly higher salary, because there's that unique alignment that can't be replicated, uh, at least not easily. 
Yeah. I, I, I do want to say to those who are listening to this, who are, who are in leadership positions, to take some pressure off of you. Uh, all of us have a set of values in our lives. And, and I would say that the vast majority of the time, we are earnest and in alignment with our values. But all of us will betray our values from time to time, either either because of fear or because of mistake or because of bumbling, things will happen. And it's not the failure that counts. It's what you do next. And we just did another Lessons in Leadership podcast uh, recently that'll come out in September about this specific thing, that when you fail, it's not the failure, it's what you do next with the failure that says whether you're truly in alignment with your values or not. And so I'm just hoping that our audience will listen to this and understand we're not asking for perfection, and nor is that expected. What we're asking for is humility, that when you fail, you get up, you admit it, you make it right, and you move on because that cements the value in the mind of the employee to say, that's the kind of people I want to work with, people who are honest in both their successes and their failures. And I think that's an important little caveat to our, our conversation because I, I certainly don't want our listeners to think, well, you better be perfect or people are going to leave your firm because nobody's perfect at the end of the day. Absolutely. And I think that that speaks to the authenticity component is that if you recognize your own you know, shortcomings, that does the opposite of diluting the degree to which people perceive your values as, as real. You know, if you're able to call yourself out and you're that self-aware, it shows that you are truly trying to live up to those values. Um, and if you're positioning yourself either in your own mind or to others that, you know, I am perfect or I need to be perfect, it's everybody's going to fall short of that. And the only way you can live up to it is to be inauthentic. You know, I, th- I think you're spot on there. It's a good point. As you know, design intelligence focuses in the built environment and primarily on firms in the uh, architecture, engineering, and the design space, uh, which are tens and tens of thousands of professionals that play in this space. If, if, and each of these firms are struggling with this question right now about relevance, about how do I change and transform into this new, uh, this new construct of working and redefining work and workplace and my people and all of these things. And a lot of them have never even considered understanding commitment because they're still stuck on a, a more traditional model of engagement. And so if our audience was to engage with New Wave, what is it they should expect? What, what would you ask of them when you get engaged with a firm to, to help them work through these commitment dynamics? Yeah, so um, we're we're not the biggest surveying company in the world. For some companies, that's a shortcoming. I don't consider it one, but the reality is, is we can't work with everybody. So when we choose to work with a company, we want to work with a company that's serious about making change. So that's really what gives us purpose internally, is that if we can go into an organization and do our job well, what happens is there are multiple people who win. Management wins because they're able to retain their employees, have more committed employees, but employees win because the company is becoming one that they want to be committed to. So as far as what can be expected is you can expect us to want to work with you 
in order to make sure that that environment exists before the survey and that we're going to be more hands-on both with management but also in terms of employees. So for instance, we have a period in which we reach out and we're promoting the survey before it's administered. What we do is we allow employees to reach out to us directly, whether it's me or somebody on our team, and whoever's in charge of the survey, the employees have that individual cell phone number. So they can call that that individual and say, you know what, I have concerns about anonymity. Where in the past, X, Y, or Z happened with surveys, they weren't taken seriously, no change was made. You can get that personalized approach that is going to enable trust to be built over time. And it's a snowballing effect to where when employees realize that their voice is actually going to be heard, then they end up spending the time that's required to give quality feedback. And that is something that builds over time. And the benefits are, it's a domino effect. This is Uh, fantastic. Yeah, Yeah. both for the organization, but for employees as well. So this is a bespoke data collection around commitment towards transformative ends at the end of the day. I love that. Just fantastic. So what do you have to say to our industry? Yeah, so uh, just some things that I've noticed is one, with younger employees, there's a lot of concern or at least conversation around how to retain them. One thing that we see being very crucial is career advancement clarity. So helping younger employees understand what does the track look like in their given role, three, five, seven, ten years down the road, that clarity is very important and often something that employees feel are lacking, especially younger employees. And then one thing that's got two sides to it is the importance of mentorship within, especially within architecture, at least in our experience, is the importance of mentorship. There's two sides to it. Younger employees want it, they crave it, and the way that they essentially approach it or want it to be approached is different. So especially with remote work, it's difficult to kind of set up that mentorship dynamic if people aren't in person every day. So having conversations with employees around how best to facilitate that is very important. But also uh, more senior leaders, they actually value that mentorship a lot because if they don't feel like their opinion or knowledge is being passed down or valued, that's something that they feel, you know, kind of gypped on, so to speak, um, and undervalued. So I would say that those things are very important to focus on. And the last thing is on the cultural side is one thing that we've seen be perceived very positively and actually help foster commitment is if you have a remote team or hybrid team, uh, creating events like retreats where everybody can come together outside of work is crucial. And it's, it's perceived positively almost more than anything else, especially when done right. Now, I won't speak to the best way to have a retreat, um, but doing something along those lines, getting together outside of work in person and having those kind of reoccurring uh, events that people can look forward to has shown to be very important. This is just fantastic. Andrew Kitchener, thanks for joining us. And this is Design Intelligence. This has been fantastic. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of This is Design Intelligence. 
The producer is Laura Spells. The sound engineer is Jared Knabel. This has been a DI Media Group production.